so I don't have a highly produced video. But I do have a wor few words that I think this court should follow and think about in this case. Um, the United States is the oldest uh, modern democracy, well over 200 years, far different than any other country in many ways. And what makes us different is the experiment we launched, which is this thing called elections. We have elections. And that means when it comes to decide as to who should lead our nation, it's the people of the United States of America that get to make those decisions. Not six voters in Colorado who've picked and chosen who they want to file a lawsuit against. And this court should not interfere with that fundamental value, that rule of democracy. It's the people who get to decide. And this lawsuit seeks to cancel that principle. This lawsuit is anti-democratic. It looks to extinguish the opportunity, extinguish it, the opportunity for millions of Coloradans, Colorado Republicans and unaffiliated voters, to be able to choose and vote for the presidential candidate they want. In fact, the leading Republican presidential candidate. And by many measures, the candidate you know, most likely to win the presidency. They, try, they want to extinguish that opportunity by preventing him from running for office. It is anti-democratic. This is a case of lawfare that seeks to interfere with the presidential election. We argue here that this, at its basest level, this is election interference. The petitioners here, the six voters, have appointed themselves private attorney generals. They can pick and choose and file lawsuits against whom they seek to disqualify. And they rely on exceptionally weak and, in, frankly, in some cases, fringe legal and logical theories to try and tilt the playing field of this election by wiping out President Trump's ability to run for election well before anyone has an opportunity to vote. They are asking today for a number of historical firsts. First, this is the first, they are asking this court to be the first ever in American history, in American history, to disqualify a presidential candidate under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I point, we've pointed the court, I believe, to, um, or we will, Horace Greeley, who ran in 1872 as a Democratic presidential candidate. He had paid for Jefferson, um, Jefferson Thomas's bail. He was roundly accused, loudly accused, of giving aid and comfort to the enemies of the United States shortly after the Civil War when he ran. Lots of debate on that issue. No one ever once thought of trying to disqualify him from voting. They took their arguments to the people for them to make that decision. Eugene Debs, Socialist Party USA candidate in, in four elections, in 1920 ran from jail. He had been convicted of sedition for giving aid and comfort to enemies during the First World War by trying to stop military recruitment. He was convicted of that. He ran from jail. He was never disqualified. No, no attempt was made to disqualify him under, the, under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The case of Eugene Debs is often regarded as a low point in American history, a low point when it comes to First Amendment protections. And for good reason. People should be able to run for office and shouldn't be punished for their speech. The petitioners asked this court to be the first state court in American history to disqualify a presidential candidate. 
They are asking for the first time in American history to disqualify any federal candidate, a state court to disqualify any federal candidate. This is the first time in Colorado history anyone's ever tried to disqualify a presidential candidate under the 14th Amendment. Asking the Secretary of State to go back and, and research a, a candidate's behavior, that's also a first, never been asked or demanded before. Um, even right now, there are 50, about 50 cases, either pending or have been nationwide, specifically attacking President Trump. This is not a new tactic. Um, this is the first where a dismissal is not automatically, I shouldn't say automatically, but promptly been granted because of the weakness of so many of these uh, arguments. They're asking for the first time that the January 6th report be treated as evidence in this court, in a court of law, that politicized hearing. That's what they're asking, is that this court rely upon that as evidence. And frankly, they're asking this court to be the first in the country ever to embrace a number of legal theories that have never been accepted by a court, state or federal. There's a lot of firsts they're trying in this case. They're legal theories. I mean, we're arguing we shouldn't even be here. And we've argued that multiple times. This is a federal issue, perhaps the most federal, important federal issue we can have. And it's for Congress to set these standards, for Congress to provide guidance, not for the petitioners to come up with theories and try and convince you that they may be right. We've argued that the 14th Amendment's not self-executing and the preemption of political question, and we understand this court's ruled against us in, in every instance. Um, but nearly every court that's ever looked at presidential qualifications, and I'm not just talking about issues involving President Trump. I live in Denver, Your Honor. I understand sirens, unfortunately. So it's not just President Trump. Uh, you may recall that there was a little bit of controversy about President Obama's citizenship. And there was some controversy about candidate, senator, and presidential candidate McCain's citizenship. And there was controversy about senator and presidential candidate Cruz's citizenship. And there's one or two instances where those went to trial. But the vast majority of them were properly dismissed. The overwhelming weight of evidence is that this, shouldn't, this case should not be here. Now, I want to talk a little bit about some of these specific claims. The claim that there was an insurrection. What constitutes an insurrection really needs to be grounded in historical usage. Because if you don't ground it in historical usage, you're just making it up. Now, I'm not accusing the court of making it up. I'm accusing the petitioners of making it up. But, but look, you will hear from Professor Delahante that there are lots of definitions of what an insurrection is. It's been going on, that word's been in English usage for a couple hundred years, probably more. I haven't quite looked at the etymology of it. Um, and there are a lot of definitions. Your Honor, I submit I could construct a, a legal argument or a law review, to, law review article defending pretty much any one of those definitions. 
And when there are numerous definitions, that means there's really none. You might as well pick a definition out of the hat. And the petitioners have picked a definition out of the hat that suits them. That's their job. I get it. But frankly, they're making up the standard so that it fits the facts of January 6th. And I'm sure they'll try and come up with an argument that it'll just fit the facts of January 6th and it'll never fit any other facts and there can never be any consequences. But the bottom line is they're making it up and they're picking a definition out of the hat. What constitutes an insurrection needs to be grounded in historical usage because that's what the law demands. That's what equality under the law demands. That's what fairness, so we understand what the standards are by which we comport our behavior. Not post facto making it up to try and figure that out. The term engage. The term engage means to do something. Frankly, no one really knows what that means, but I think we can all agree it means to do something. That's what the word engage means. Okay? There's substantial historical evidence that engage does not mean mere incitement through words. It doesn't mean that. And frankly, President Trump didn't engage. He didn't carry a pitchfork to the Capitol grounds. He didn't lead a charge. He didn't get in a fist fight with legislators. He didn't goad President Biden into a going out back and having a fight. Um, he gave a speech in which he asked people to peacefully and patriotically go to the Capitol to protest. Now, I understand that there are several experts that are going to testify. And one's going to testify that President Trump, he just didn't do enough. He should have done more. Now, that's a case of Monday morning quarterbacking. But he's saying, oh, you should have done more. You didn't do enough. Um, should have done more. Should have done early, more stuff earlier. I can come up with all kinds of theories, this professor will say, as to why you should have done enough stuff. And that professor is no doubt a, a learned man and very thoughtful on this. But his basic argument when it comes down to it is they're claiming President Trump was negligent. Now we reject that factual claim, of course. And you'll hear the evidence that that characterization is completely wrong. But more fundamentally, the entire theory is wrong. The failure to do something is the opposite of the word engage. It's the opposite of the word engage. And, well, and we've argued engage requires specific intent. Someone doesn't just sort of stumble into starting an insurrection. They have to have the intent to do that. And you'll hear evidence um, that President Trump took very specific actions to try to prevent violence, to take precautions that he didn't want there to be violence on January 6th. And on January 6th, he called for peace. And he used the word peace at least four times in his speech at the Ellipse and two tweets in a video message. So he asked for peace. Now, the, um, the petitioners have played a couple videos. Cards are stacked against you, I guess. I've been here before, Your Honor. <laughs> I promise it's going to be an equal opportunity uh, problem. I'm assuming your clerks are not timing, uh, taking time against me when the sirens go by. Stop that timer, please. So my next point is, thank God we have a First Amendment. I'm very thankful for the First Amendment. Spent most of my career defending the First Amendment. Now, there's a reason it's the first, not the second, not the eighth, as I debate with my friends who like the Second Amendment. It's the First Amendment, and it's free speech. And I referred to Eugene Debs before. Eugene Debs was thrown in jail 
He had to run for president from jail because of his speech. And it's properly condemned that case today. And in fact, um, even then, his sentence was commuted very shortly after the, uh, the election of 2020. None of President Trump's speech ever called for violence, just the opposite. None of it ever called for insurrection. Did it call for political pressure? Yeah. Did it use a metaphor to fight in the political context? Yes. And I don't think even the petitioners would allege that President Trump, when he says fight, he wants to get into a fist fight with people. Okay. None of his speech called for the overthrow of government. None of it. Any objective reading, the plain language of his speech, was clearly not directed towards violence. Now, the petitioners are going to have an expert, an expert on speech, an expert who says right-wing speech. He understands what right-wing speech, right-wing extremist speech really means. And he's basically going to argue when you strip away all of the academic language and you look at what he's saying, he's going to say, look, President Trump used a bunch of dog whistles. And of course, a dog whistle is a whistle that has a very high pitch that humans can't hear, but dogs can hear. Okay? And he's going to say, President Trump like, had this sort of dog whistle. I don't know if he'll use the phrase dog whistle. But he used a speech that really these far right-wing extremists could understand and mobilize on. But us mere mortals, well, we, don't, we missed it. We didn't understand it, but those folks understood it. He's going to say that normal, sort of commonly used English doesn't count um, because there's this subjective, special language out there that is sort of underneath it all that um, has been unearthed by the sociologist. And only right-wing extremists and people very learned in sociology and right-wing extremism can understand. Um, and he's going to say that with his expertise, he's been able to decipher what we normal mortals cannot. And his decipherment is going to basically say that uh, President Trump was really ordering people to be violent. Even when he said peaceful patriotically, even when he sent out tweets that said be peaceful, uh, that's not really what he meant. And the right wing, those right wingers knew it. Last month, the G20 announced a plan to impose digital currencies and digital IDs on their respective populations. No, I'm not making that up. That is a fact. Central bank digital currencies essentially allow the government to track every purchase you make. They could even allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain products or easily freeze or seize part or all of your money. Let that sink in for a second. In essence, they enable the government to take more control over your personal finances. Concerned Americans are diversifying their assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. If you want a physical asset held in a tax-sheltered retirement account, you should call Birch Gold too. But learn for yourself. Text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898, and they'll send you a free info kit on gold. The easiest way to become a Birch Gold customer... If you have an IRA or 401k from a previous employer just gathering dust, Birch Gold can help you convert it into IRA into gold. And you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Let me repeat that. You don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text Bannon to 989898. Claim your free info kit on gold. Then call Birch. 
Because if digital currency becomes a reality, and trust me, they're on the path to make it so, it'll be nice to have some gold to fall back on. It's only worked for 5,000 years of mankind's history. Let Birch Gold work for you. Bannon, 989898, text it right now. He meant something else. This turns our American values on their head. It is fundamentally anti-First Amendment. He is saying that when we look at political speech, we don't look at it in an objective way. We don't look at the plain meaning of the words. We look at this secret, hidden interpretation that no one in this courtroom, or, well, I mean, maybe someone in this courtroom besides him can understand. Maybe he thinks I understand it and no one else can. I will submit I was in Georgia on January 6th helping with an election. But the right wing can understand it, but no one else. That is anti-First Amendment. In fact, that has been soundly rejected by our courts, and properly so. We look at what people say as we commonly understand them. And the common understanding of peacefully and patriotic means don't commit violence and support your country. That's what it means. Let's talk about the history and meaning of Section 3. You're going to hear from two professors. Uh, you've gotten about 40,000 words of briefing on sort of the meaning and of Section 3. Um, you've rendered an opinion against us. And I understand, that's a conditional opinion. You want more evidence, and you want to hear more argument, and that's what we're providing. And so I'm going to ask you three things, all right? First, I'm going to ask you to reconsider your footnote five in your order. Yeah, um, um, I'm not, Your Honor, because I'm not going to take up the time. But I'm simply going to ask you to reconsider it, okay? Thank you. And I think those cases deserve a much closer reading, and I respectfully say I believe that they were improperly mischaracterized, okay? So that's my first request. My second request is, when you look at the experts um, and our position, and, and I think the court ultimately agrees, is that they're testifying as to what the law is and what the history is. Um, and, and Your Honor rightfully recognize that there's other folks out there. So I'm just going to give you a lineup of the other folks. On one side, the petitioners cite Baud and Paulson and Graber, three professors, Baud, Paulson, and Graber. And on our side, we cite Tillman and Blackman and Lash. And I'd like you to take particular care to look at Lash's, Professor Kurt Lash's articles. Um, and because uh, he's done a more thorough analysis of the historic history behind uh, the 14th Amendment in Section 3, the congressional debates, and the ratification debates, not just what legislators said, but how it was understood by the public as well. You're going to get an overview of that. You're going to get argument on that, but I'm going to urge you to take a look at those others closely. And third, uh, as we've said, we think this is legal argument and not appropriate for rules of evidence. It's in. The court will, will make good, um, will provide its analysis. Um, and we have talked to the uh, petitioners about, just, frankly, including the expert reports, the law professors as demonstrative exhibits to review. That's fine. I think what you're going to see is when I talked about the lack of firsts, um, there's a reason 
presidential candidates have not been knocked off or no one's even attempted to under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Okay, there's a reason this is a unique case. There's a reason cases like this have either never been brought or quickly rejected. There's reasons for that. And the reasons are grounded in the text and the language of the 14th Amendment. Um, you're going to hear about the Secretary's authority from Ms. Hillary Rudy. Um, this is sort of an interesting uh, case in the sense that my understanding is petitioners are calling Ms. Rudy and haven't even spoken to her. And we haven't even spoken to her. So it's going to be an adventure. But having had some experience in that office, I'm confident you will see that this case is a radical outlier from the Secretary's past practice, in addition, obviously, to the 14th Amendment. Let's talk a little bit about the evidence before the court today, or this next week. To be sure, the petitioners have spent about 10 months preparing their case. As you have described, we've talked about this as a mantra. I'll submit volume does not equal quality. A lot of attorneys does not equal a good argument. A lot of stuff in front of the court does not equal good evidence. The court shouldn't confuse a vigorous effort with a good argument or with good evidence. If anything, the fact that they have to put on so much and make one inference and pile one argument on top of another shows the weakness of their case, not strength. After all the time they have prepared this case, this is what they've got. They've got the January 6th report. They got two police officers out of hundreds, perhaps thousands of police officers there. And not commanders, but two police officers. And they've got three professors, um, two law professors to testify about the law and the sociologist to testify about the, uh, the, the coded language. That's what they've got. And they've got one House member. I'm sorry, one House member. So that's what they've got. And at the end of the day, the start of the day, this case is frankly about the January 6th report. This is their effort to get court to endorse the January 6th report. That's what it comes down to. The video montage with overlaid sound that you saw in this opening argument, that's a pretty good production. And the reason it's a good production is because the January 6th committee hired a television producer to produce this stuff for primetime TV. The January 6th report made 411 findings, and petitioners have asked to introduce 408 of them, many of which this court has allowed conditionally and allowed argument against. But this report is poison, and I mean poison very bluntly. It is a one-sided political document of cherry-picked information, no adversarial process with a preordained conclusion. It omits a number of other arguments. It ignored other um, uh, witnesses before it. Um, and it ignores other explanations and causes. It has very much. Let me ask you this, Honor, and obviously I'm asking rhetorically. If someone walked into court and said, hey, here's how this court case is going to work. I, on my side, the prosecutor, I'm going to get all kinds of time, years, year and a half, to investigate witnesses, 
to take statements, to gather evidence, okay? And people who strongly disagree with my viewpoint, they get no time whatsoever. They don't get to interview any witnesses. They don't get to get any evidence. They get none of that, but I get all of it. I get to do all of that. And on top of that, um, you're not going to hear the case. I'm going to choose my own panel. I'm going to choose my own judges. I'm going to choose my Democrats and a couple of Republicans that agree with me. I get to choose them. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to hire a television producer. And I'm going to time this for an election. And I'm going to put all that out there. And I want you to render legal opinions based on the quality of that evidence. I think you and any, everyone else would be rightfully would be repulsed by that process. But that's what the January 6th process was. And you are going to hear from a congressman involved in this just the deficiencies and the problems of that January 6th process. And so what the petitioners do, are doing is they're trying to shove this January 6th report as evidence for this court. They're asking the court to endorse that process. They're asking the court to endorse that one-sided, poisonous report. There is a reason Democrats, for the large part, love that report and cite it. And there is a reason Republicans, for the most part, hate that report and condemn it. And the reason why is that report is a political document first and foremost. This, however, is a court of law. Like you, we, like the petitioner's attorneys, have spent the majority, perhaps all of our adult working lives, as officers of the court, defending one of the greatest American institutions, one of the greatest world institutions, is fair courts that conduct themselves according to the rule of evidence, that work hard to come with good decisions. That's what we do. That's what courts do. That is not what the January 6th report was. And we should hold ourselves here to a much higher standard than that poisonous January 6th report. We should allow in only real evidence that's subject to cross-exam. It is properly authenticated by people who actually have knowledge of that. That's what this court should be about, not importing a bunch of stuff from the January 6th report that really has little, if any, credibility. You'll also hear from two police officers, and we want to be very respectful of those police officers. But like any human being, they had a very limited viewpoint on what happened on January 6th. And we're going to ask that you limit the testimony to actually what the officers knew. Not what they guessed at, not what they summarized, but what they knew and what they saw. Their actual experience. And we'll point out that, frankly, I mean, there's a reason these officers are here, and it's because they're intense dislike for President Trump. You're going to hear from a member of the House of Representatives, and we're going to give you a member of the House of Representatives, too. There you have it, Your Honor. Um, and then you're going to hear from three experts from the petitioners. Two are going to testify to the, what the law is, and then you're going to have the sociologist whom we've already spoken about. That's it. That's their evidence. At the end of the day, their evidence is a January 6th report. Everything they bring in is part of the January 6th report. I won't say everything the vast majority of it. Our evidence, I've refrained from naming witnesses. 
I'll continue to follow that convention. But you're going to hear that President Trump took very specific precautions to prevent violence on that day as president. Um, you're going to hear that the organizers of the rally at the Ellipse took precautions to avoid violence or inflammatory rhetoric. You're going to hear that the rally at the Ellipse was peaceful, that there was no violence. You didn't have a crowd that was intent on violence before or after President Trump's speech. You're going to see that President Trump's communications on January 6th called for peace. They called for respect of the police. Certainly, two police officers that were involved in violence, you're going to see that from them. But we also have at least one witness who's going to say, look, I, didn't, I saw very, very little. I saw a peaceful crowd. Nearly everyone was peaceful. That's a different perspective. And so it's impossible, we think, to say the mob did this, or the mob did that, the mob, the mob. There are a lot of people with a lot of different actions, a lot of behavior. There was not a mind-meld mob that President Trump supposedly mobilized. Um, and then you're going to hear about how the January 6th report was a completely partisan, unreliable document. This case here is about President Trump's right to run for office. That right is the flip side of the coin for people to be able to vote for the candidate of their choice. People can't vote without candidates. Candidates aren't really candidates if people can't vote for them. It's the same side of the coin. And, and so we've talked about the right for the people of Colorado to vote for someone for office. And that's very closely bound with the right of Donald J. Trump to be able to run for office. And the petitioners seek to deny millions of Coloradans that right, and they seek to deny President Trump his rights. Now, I understand the posture that this is merely a state disqualification case. When's the last time you checked the legal title to your home? Why? Because most victims of home title theft don't know they're a victim until it's too late. Like this homeowner. Check this out. She was getting ready for a home remodel when everything got shut down. She discovered her property wasn't in her name anymore. She was a victim of a devastating crime called home title theft. A criminal had forged the deed to her home and took over as the new owner. Now she's fighting back to get her home back. This is why I say if you own a home or a property, get home title lock. Your home property inequity are the most valuable assets you have. By the way, there's reported 80 to 90 percent of your net worth, the average American's net worth, is in their home. And Home Title Lock helps you protect them. Home Title Lock puts a 24-7 shield around your home's title. Let me repeat, a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day shield around your home's title. The instant they detect activity or tampering, they help shut it down fast. First things first, you need to verify you aren't already a victim of home title theft. Find out for free with a sign-up when you use promo code Bannon. That's promo code Bannon at HomeTitleLock.com. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, promo code Bannon. And when you sign up, your first 30 days of protection are free. Do this today at HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code Bannon. Protect yourself. Do it today. Take action. It's not. This is a 14th Amendment case. 
and is dressed up as a state proceeding. 95% of the evidence is the 14th Amendment. Maybe it's 92%. But the overwhelming majority of the evidence in this case is about the 14th Amendment. And the overwhelming argument is about the 14th Amendment. And the consequences are about the 14th Amendment. And it asks the court to interpret the 14th Amendment. That's what this case is about. If it looks like a duck, and if it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. It was a 14th Amendment case, okay? And so I want to bring, it's a constitutional case. It's sort of what we lawyers dream of being able to litigate. We don't dream in law school of litigating a Section 1204 qualifications. We dream of litigating constitutional law, and that's what this is. It's a constitutional case. And so I'm going to bring you to my last point. So I've been, uh, I'm old enough and overweight enough to why I've been litigating election law in the state of Colorado for well over two decades. And this is the third presidential candidate ballot access case I have litigated. Now, obviously, I'm familiar with the law nationwide. And there is a rule in election law. And that rule, it's all the rule of democracy. Maybe I'm making it up a little bit, but it's the rule of democracy. And that rule says that when something is close, and when there's a unique and strange argument on the other side, okay, uh, when there's a question or an ambiguity or a stretch, the rule of democracy says we err on the side of letting people vote. That's what the rule says. Now, we've made preemption arguments. We've argued about holding office, that the 14th Amendment applies to holding office so that Congress has the choice to remove a disqualification. We shouldn't short-circuit that. We've made arguments about officer of the United States. We've made arguments about engagement, insurrection, First Amendment, all of that stuff. And to date, the court has either deferred those or oftentimes ruled against us. But what I'm asking this court to do is apply the rule of democracy. When something's close or ambiguous or a stretch or an unusual argument, you don't interpret it as a way to cancel the opportunity for people to choose their representatives. You don't interpret it as a way to cancel the ability of millions of people to be able to vote for the leader of the free world. What you do is you interpret it to allow people to vote. Because there is no doubt that the six electors don't like President Trump. And I would submit that maybe their attorneys don't like President Trump. And they're experts. And I know the police officers don't like President Trump. They don't like President Trump. And they have every right to vote against him. But there are millions of people in Colorado and across this country who are inspired by President Trump, who view them as, who view him as someone who protects their interests and who are going to, and, and is going to create a nation, help build a nation that they want to live in and that they want their children to live in. Millions of people look to him for hope and inspiration. And who are the petitioners to prevent those people from not being able to vote on that? Who are they? Well, we're arguing that they shouldn't be able to stop those votes. That when millions of people are inspired by a candidate, and millions of people may hate that candidate, what we need to do and what the rule of democracy says and what makes America great is we get to vote on that person. We don't stifle it. We don't short-circuit it through a court proceeding. 
we're confident that that's what the framers thought about when they drafted the 14th Amendment. We're confident that that's historical usage. We're confident that our legal arguments and our evidence are appropriate and carry the day. And part of the reason we're confident is because those arguments and that evidence fits within the long tradition of American democracy and of American law to allow an election to go forward rather than short-circuiting it and engaging in what we would consider anti-democratic behavior. Thank you very much, Your Honor. Do, do the okay. You've heard the opening arguments, and uh, this is going to be a very important uh, trial. Here's the reason. It is a total kangaroo court. This 14th Amendment, as, the, as uh, President Trump's uh, lawyer argued, um, should be – it's a 14th Amendment case, constitutional case, should be in a federal court, which wouldn't take it because it's so ludicrous. But you've got a radical judge, and uh, the links to her radicalness, Laura Loomer's got up, and I think Grace and Mo have it on the um, – up on the site. You should read her um, her links to uh, Judge – I think it's Sarah Wallace – who actually gave money, gave money to a group that's trying to keep Trump off the ballot. And her excuse is, well, I didn't really understand that's what they were doing. She did not recuse herself. The Trump lawyer has been working on this, and this is why this is kind of like a summer storm out of nowhere. They had all types of motions before her and thought this thing would not start for a while, and she just ruled against it. Including her today, she opened up and said uh, she's not going to recuse herself. Now, look, this has nothing to do with the law. What you're watching is the demise of this country. These radicals, these globalist radicals that are trying to destroy this country by the invasion they are allowing to happen, and also the, uh, the global turmoil they're causing by uh, sending hundreds of billions of dollars over to the child trafficking and money laundering operation in Ukraine. These radicals, and this is what happened in, uh, in Colorado when you had a billionaire uh, who wanted to push the LGBTQ agenda, uh, t turned uh, Colorado to a purple state. They control the appeals court. They control the Supreme Court. As Mike Davis laid out, this is a bench trial. This is not a jury trial. There's no jury there for President Trump's lawyers to address. This judge has made up her mind. You're seeing a classic, and people never thought this would ever happen in the United States of America. You're seeing between New York City on the financial trial and uh, in, in Denver, Colorado, on, uh, on this, uh, this made-up uh, ballot access of the 14th Amendment, accusing President Trump of actually being an insurrectionist. This, this wild legal theory that as soon as it came up, and remember, please always remember, don't forget this. We're not going to bury the lead here. All of this was done by, quote-unquote, Republican billionaires that put the money up for Leonard Leo and that crowd over the Federalist Society to write the bogus initial uh, constitution with two you know unknown constitutional lawyers that Alan Dershowitz blew the water the day it came out because the day it came out, I said, I can smell it. I smell the rat. This is, they can't beat him with Nikki Haley. They can't beat him with uh, DeSantis. They're going to try everything. Understand this. There is nothing the elite class will not do to take your voice away. 
There is nothing they will not do. They will break any law. They will go against any custom and tradition we've ever had. And to me, this only makes Trump more powerful for all his imperfections, for all his imperfections, because it's not Trump. It's you. They are scared to death of your ascendant power. What just happened in the House, they're petrified of it. They're petrified of it. What you're seeing in Denver now is the manifestation of the radical left that's on it. But it was started. It was started by the same people that are backing Glenn Youngkin, the same people that were originally and back at DeSantis, the same people putting money into Nikki Haley. At any level and in any venue, they will come after to stop your champion because he puts you in the room and empowers you. This was all, let me repeat this. This was all started by a bogus, half-baked argument made coming out of the Federal Society and Leonard Leo's crew and the billionaires that back him who basically want courts to rule in favor of their corporations and their money-making. They do not, they care as little about this republic as the radical left. Let me repeat that. They care as little about this republic. They, they, they gloss it over in a more, oh, you know, we're for limited government. We're for fiscal responsibility. They're not for any of it. They're not for any of it. They're as in on the fix as the most radical Democrats. Led by the, uh, by the neoliberal, neocon cheerleading squad over at the Murdoch News Network. That's why this in Denver, this, this is not going to, okay, here's what's going to happen. She's going to rule that Trump's an insurrectionist and going to, going to uh, um, recommend to the Secretary of State immediately with a court order that President Trump be removed from the, pres- pe- the ballot for 2024. A rigged appeals court controlled by radical Democrats is going to support that. And then a Supreme Court also with radical judges is going to support that. So the state of Colorado's legal system will have spoken up to the Supreme Court. Oh, and they're going to slow walk that. They're going to slow walk the appeals and they're going to slow walk going to the Supreme Court because they want to drag this. This is not a legal argument. It's going to be a media and a political argument. They want to drag this as far into next year as possible. Number one, to give DeSantis and Nikki Haley and soon to be Glenn Youngkin. Oh, well, Trump's going to be off the ballot. I have to be the candidate. Trump's not even going to be in the ballot. And other states are going to come up. They're going to see Colorado. Other states are going to come up. It's all going to happen. He has to be off the ballot. This is going to empower the neoliberal, neocon, phony Republicans coming forward. Look at this. Colorado did it. As Mike Davis said, this will be struck down in the Supreme Court. But, hey, baby, you got to get there. That's going to be a federal. Maybe you go directly to the Supreme Court. But Colorado's they're not going to expedite. Let's make these decisions right away. This judge will rule on this this week or next week. The appeals court's not going to sit there. They're, they're going to slow walk it so it takes longer to get to the Supreme Court. Will it be overturned? Obviously, as Dershowitz and other constitutional lawyers tell us, and we'll have many of those experts on this week. But I want you to hear the opening argument. The opening argument is the same nonsense you heard on the J6. Same nonsense you heard on the J6. That left very little impression with the American people as we know from the polling. But this is to take whatever they got 
and to try to, in information warfare, weaponize it so it goes into primary season and goes into next year and just puts a doubt on people's mind. Was Trump even going to be on the ballot? How can possibly Trump win if Colorado, if he's not even on the ballot in certain states? Because sure as the turning of the earth, other states like, let me pick a couple of random ones. Oh, I don't know, Michigan, right? Well, you have that, that great crew in Michigan, Secretary of State, Attorney General, Governor. Hey, you're going to see some other states jump in right here. Oh, Trump's off the ballot. Nikki Haley's going to sit there with her knitted brow, bird brain, and sit there and go, you know, attack on Israel's an attack on America, the one that's trying to get us into the war, into the, into the war as possible. When over the weekend, um, the uh, first of all, Biden says it's got to be a two-state solution. I'm not even sure that's the official po- – I don't think that's the official policy of the Israeli government. He's saying, oh, we have to have a two-state solution. We're only doing this for a two-state solution. Maybe it's time he come forward and tell us exactly what the plan is. What, what, what are our intentions here? One of the leading entrepreneurs in Israel, um, one of the wealthiest men in Israel, and obviously a political opponent, Netanyahu, but he's making the case that Netanyahu's government, his part of the coalition government, has got to go for incompetence. He's making the case. I'm just reporting it. Netanyahu blamed over the weekend, blamed the intelligence agencies, blamed the intelligence for not warning him about the Hamas situation that they knew about. He retracted that, but he, he said the quiet part out loud. So in this firestorm, you've got, you've got the neoliberal neocons, not the America first. America first, we want the border closed and we want the deportations to start. And we want to make sure we fully understand, even in the Taiwan situation. I'm all, Ben, oh, you're just because you're so anti-CCP. You see a anti, you see the CCP under every bed. You're crazy. Hey, he ought to come forward and tell us a plan on the in South China Sea, in the uh, in in defense of Taiwan. I'm all for that. Let's do it. That case will be, but that case will bury Ukraine. Now you are having wins, and look, everybody run around with Mike Johnson's. Mike Johnson's. Hey. Mike Johnson's in for a couple of days, and a lot of what you're hearing is rhetoric he would have to have. The key thing is look at his actions. He has done a hard throwdown on bifurcating Ukraine in the Israel, on the, in the Israel funding. He has said he's going to put forward, and I don't believe that even the Ukraine will come up if he sticks to the Hastert rule. But even on Israel, which I say should take a backseat to the southern border and must take a backseat to the southern border. By the way, we're live streaming the courtroom, and you can get the live stream up on my site right now so you can hear what's going on. You should pay attention to this trial because it's going to show you the lawfare they're prepared to use. Even on Israel, he's saying there's not going to be one penny. Mike Johnson has committed, and that's why uh, we'll get a tweet up that came out earlier, I think from Jake Sherman, about looking for offsets or pay-fors. Mike Johnson has said, which the media hasn't really picked up, that there will not be one penny added to the national debt for the support of Israel. The $14 billion will be coming out of cuts in other places, real cuts in other places. Now, I adamantly, I think he's doing a great job on bifurcating and going against McConnell and the collaborationist Republicans in the Senate who are going to try to come with the only way they get their $60 billion for their child trafficking and money laundering and bioweapons operation in Ukraine and God knows what else. Hey, 
baby, when you get in there and look at Ukraine, when there's a real investigation in Ukraine, when you pick that scab, there's going to be a lot of pus that run, runs out of that. $113 billion so far. What in the hell are they paying? We don't even have any accurate reports whatsoever of what's going on in the battlefield. Look at all the nonsense and lies you've been spun from MSNBC and CNN and all these Admiral Stavridis and all these experts. Go back and look. All of it's wrong. All of it's been lies. We have no earthy idea of the pus that's under that scab, but it ain't going to be pretty. So the fight there, at least Johnson's bifurcated that. For those of you that have an understanding, and not the people from the cheap seats that are all weekend this and that and the other thing. Come on, man. This is the National Football League. This is the National Football League. Drives me crazy. Test my patience, but I'm a patient man. Johnson's bifurcated it. And this is about the hammer of the of the neocon. Look out. You think Murdoch News Network, who just got smoked in the speaker thing and everything they told you was a lie and would have led to the destruction of this country if you had followed there. Oh, you're the agents of chaos all weekend revved up in such a neocon. You can't even watch it. You can't even watch it. It's obnoxious. They want us in every war all over the place. American troops, American planes everywhere. And none of their kids serve or very few. But none of the stars kids serve. Go out of their way not to serve. No, yeah, but they want to send you all over there and want to send all your money. The border comes first. I gave a speech on Friday down in Carolina. We're going to have the video. I just laid down to folks, hey, the, 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 the debt crisis and another huge article, but they can't sell the bonds, the tsunami of treasuries. You can't sell them. The financial crisis we have interlocked with the invasion of our country with 10 million invaders. And now Axios, one of their top stories is that, oh, the public school system is about to be overwhelmed with new migrant children. Like the poor African-American and Hispanic American citizen children in the public schools, what they need right now is more chaos and, you know, have to get more teachers that know foreign languages and have to go for more money they don't have and make their own learning environment even crappier than it is. That's exactly what they need. That's terrific to uh, American uh, citizen children who are African-American and Hispanic. Let's do that. Let's make it even better. Let's make their time even more trying. Any African-American Hispanic parent that votes for these criminals in office, and by the way, not only do you have to secure the border and deport 10 million, you must, I don't care about impeachment anymore, you bring criminal charges against every official that had anything to do with this. You aided and abetted an invasion of our nation, and you must pay criminally. They want to talk about lawfare. Hey, wait for it, baby. Because you have tried actively to destroy this nation. And if you don't think the fix, look, I don't care if you hate the sound of Trump's voice and you hate his image. If you see what the established order is trying to do to him and you like where your life is with the established order, then, hey, then you're loving it. If you maybe have a question of exactly how these globalists are destroying this country in front of your own eyes and up in your grill and laughing in your face while you pay for it, both with your taxes, your retirement money, and your greatest asset, your children and grandchildren, then maybe Trump has got something going on because they got a show trial in New York to liquidate his business. 
They've got a four indictments, 91 charges, 700 years in a federal prison in various bogus other charges, criminal charges that are all laughable. And now to top it off, because we don't have enough. They got to take him off the ballot. Why do they have to take him off the ballot? Because on the ballot, Colorado, they know he's going to win. Why do they have to take him off? Why do they have to do this? And what's a constitutional case? Why are they going to do it in a state court? And they're going to have other state courts. Because they know if he's on a freaking ballot, he wins. There's no Democrat. Newsom, you saw Newsom, this clown show over in, with the CCP. That's going to beat him. Or do you see, do you see our vice president on 60 minutes over the weekend? 60 minutes. That's like child abuse. You can't, that the, the interview was so softball, but she's so, there's something bizarrely out of touch with her. I don't think people could see a commander in chief there. I just, I'm just, Hey, I'm just throwing it out there. Right. Who's going to be Oprah, big Mike. This is what we're going to come with. Don't think so. If Trump's on the ballot, Trump wins. Let me be very blunt. If Trump's name's printed on a ballot, Trump wins. Even in Colorado. Look at the polling. Look at Axios. Vander Hay and Allen, two cheerleaders for the corporatist globalist elite, put out the most brutal takedown as the lead story called Behind the Curtain on Biden. If you're a Biden supporter, you're sitting there going, oh, my God, this is horrible, terrible, everything, every aspect of it. It's only going to get worse. You know why? Because, and Rasmussen's got a poll out today, 86% of the American people are quite petrified that what we're doing right now in Israel is going to lead to a bigger conflict in the Middle East and may lead to a global conflict. Hey, American people must be paying attention. Must be paying attention. Must be paying attention. And at home, Jewish kids can't even go to college. Look at Cornell. At Cornell, they're up there, and they're, they're in the dining hall that has the kosher food on a, on a Sunday afternoon, on a slow, quiet Sunday afternoon with the beautiful changing of the leaves, the autumn as it is up there in that part of New York. And, uh, and, uh, and of course, the... Uh, uh, you know, the the pro-Palestinian crowd, the one egged on by AOC and the squad, are saying, oh, we want to get in there and slit their throats. Want to get in there and slit their throats. You saw what happened at, at uh, Cooper Union. Cooper Union, one of the most, oh, touchy-feely, you know, most liberal institutions in Manhattan. Banging on the door, I think, in the library. Those four or five young Jewish, Jewish students, if that mob had gotten through that, if that door had been let go, those kids would have been torn apart. They'd have been torn apart just like they were torn apart in uh, on the 7 October. Okay, we've had a little bit of a truncated show to start this week off. We had to do this, though. It's a must. You had to see what's going on. You had to see the nonsense in this court. You're watching something that no one in America would ever thought would have happened. And that is kangaroo courts every bit as deadly as the Nazi judges and, and Stalin show trial on those two regimes. That's come to the United States of America. And the only way we're going to stop it is to defeat these people. There's no compromise here. You can't compromise on this. One side's going to win and one side's going to lose. And they understand that if Trump's name's on a ballot, he wins. And if he wins, you win. So they're going to do everything now to take him off every ballot. Besides bankrupting him, liquidating his business, sending him to prison for 700 years, they, they will leave no stone unturned 
to defeat you. Let me repeat this, to defeat you, to take your voice away, because they're petrified now. You've started to change the cartel, and I told you this wasn't going to be perfect, right? We got work to do. You got Rampart's demand. No CR, no CR in January. We strongly disagree with Speaker Johnson, and we're going to fight this. Remember, you can't get any more hardcore than the War Room and the War Room Posse. We have a lot of work to do. But you saw in Denver, Colorado, the great state of Colorado, and one of the greatest cities in this country, Denver, Colorado. Think how much history has been made there, and history was made today as a kangaroo court, detestable kangaroo court, tries to take Donald John Trump off the ballot. Back in a minute. There's a lot to be nervous about out there. Open social media or turn on the news and all you see is crime and societal decay. A lot of people just run out and buy a gun and then it sits in a safe. If there's ever an emergency, they're not going to be prepared and run the risk of hurting themselves or others. There's no way around it. You need to train and you need to train often. Unfortunately, it's time-consuming to go to the range, assuming there's even one nearby, and ammo prices are through the roof. iTarget was invented so you could practice anytime in the safety and convenience of your own home. Simply download the iTarget Pro app, load your caliber-specific laser bullet into your firearm, and start training. Practice alone, compete with friends, or use it to safely train friends and family who are new to firearms. Go to itargetpro.com and get 10% off at checkout when you use offer code Bannon. This is the smartest, safest way to train, which is why competitive shooters trust dry fire training as part of their regimen. Get yours today. That's the letter itargetpro.com. That's itargetpro.com. Offer code Bannon. itargetpro.com. Action, action, action. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, we're going to have to get to the ramparts. The 5 to 7 o'clock show tonight is going to be jammed. But so much we're going to do um, that we wanted to do this morning and things are going on today. Uh, obviously, make sure you're back here. I also want to make sure I keep skipping Arizona. Same Arizona, Arizona, Arizona. Watch Arizona. The same thing's going to happen here. Arizona, Michigan. Wait for it. They must take. Let me repeat this. If Trump's on the ballot, he wins. They understand the the hard, cold reality of this. If Trump is on a ballot, he will win. And they will do everything now to remove him from said ballot and take your ability to make a choice away from you, away from you, away from you. If you're prepared to stand here and let that happen, right, just go back to your game of pickleball. But if you're not, we're going to grind this out. And quite frankly, this should not have popped up like it popped up, but I'll save that for another day. It's time to get focused on immediately what we have to do to stop this. But this is one of the strategies, the overwhelm. President Trump over the weekend said $100 million in law fees. This is the opportunity cost. This is they're trying to break him. They're trying to get his attention diverted. Right. Is it now the polling in, in Iowa and places are coming out and the polling against Biden is overwhelming. But they're trying to overwhelm him. They're trying to that hundred million dollars. Could that have gone into the campaign for his victory? The hundreds of millions of dollars they're having to pay because the Murdoch News Network continues to drive the Keebler elves 
and to try to give them any traction. And this baby, trust me, connect Murdoch to Leonard Leo to Colorado to the dying campaigns of the same. And don't tell me Nikki Haley's resurgent. I heard her speech at the RJC. Nobody is no no MAGA is going to support that. It's all Israel first and not America first. And we need to get focused on America first. Israel's our ally, but America first. If America, if we don't stop this invasion, if we don't stop this spending, there's not going to be an America. And if there's not America, you're not going to be there to assist and, and be an ally to Israel. Do not put the cart before the horse. We must focus and we must prioritize like adults. Mike Lindell, they're trying to put you out of business, too. Tell us how we're, we're we only have a couple of minutes for you today, unfortunately, because everything else going on. But I need to know the audience wants to know how are we getting to full capacity on the factory floor out there? Well, we're running the biggest sales ever, Steve. Um, we've, got a, we've got a few days left. As everyone knows, our commercials came out this weekend. But you at the War Room can get things for the lowest, even lower than the prices out there commercially. Uh, we have our towels, the six-piece towel sets, uh, flash sale on them for the War Room for $29.98. This is our six-piece towel sets, 50% off. Uh, they actually work. They actually absorb. There they are. All the colors. Get them now. While they, while all the colors are in, all these new colors, they're absolutely the most amazing towels ever. Get them for all your Christmas gifts. You're supporting my pillow in every way. And then also remember uh, to call that number, 800-873-1062, 800-873-1062, or go to mypillow.com and use that promo code WARROOM. Go down to the War Room Square. You're going to see another special there. These are our my slippers, everybody. The sl- original slippers with all the sizes there, the wide sizes, um, short, um, small, large, medium, women's, men's, for $39.98. And on TV, they're all over TV right now on sale for $49.98. We're doing this special for the War Room Posse that have got their capa- got us up to capacity by uh, the, the success of the MyPillow 2.0, which you can also get that for 50% off. $39.98 for the queen size, king size, just $5 more. The best pillow in history, everybody. And uh, so please keep supporting us, Steve. Um, that that keeps me going because I've got a lot of other stuff, and this has been a distraction for me to try and get to my pillow when they attacked my pillow. But I'm going. I'm keeping going over here to secure our elections. And everybody, if you keep my pillow going, and my employees, uh, uh, it keeps everything okay. going. Mike, we'll have you back up at five o'clock tonight. Thank you. We've been truncated because yeah, of the situation you. in Colorado. Thank you, Mike Lindell. Keep a hammer. Have you back on tonight? It's going to be packed. Okay, Charlie Kirk and his team is going to pick up, and they're going to have some observations on the situation in Denver. Maybe even pick up a little bit of the trial. Real America's Voice is obviously going to have it up. We're going to live stream. We're live streaming that on my account, and maybe if Grace and Mo can put it on the uh, the Worm account. Also, we've got the new app, the Bill Blaster. It makes your life manning the ramparts so much easier. This was designed and created by Grace Chong and a team. Uh, and it's, as you know, Grace has all been all over. She will put people on blast in a second. So this is a way to make your life easier as one of the cohorts here uh, in the Vanguard, in the minoritarian, what they call it, the minoritarian vanguardist, right? <laughs> Vanguardism, which is pretty damn good explanation. Um, back here, five to seven. Pasopica followed after that. We'll have an update of what's going on in Colorado. Also, a lot of what's going on the border, a lot what's happening in Israel, 
the expanding war there with the Persians, also talking about China, the South China Sea, all of it, and capital markets in the economy. Not a better day to kick the week off and leave you with Billy Joe Shaver. I might say the late Billy Joe Shaver and John Anderson. Get thee behind me, Satan will take us out. Charlie Kirk's next. We'll see you back here at 5 o'clock. The demons that were in me had turned me wrong side out. I knew inside my soul I was headed straight for hell. But I couldn't for my life figure how to help myself. And I said, get deep behind me, sin. For War Room veterans, you know we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in stream short supply across the United States. But you know that. Because you're a viewer or listener of this show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical, that's one word, J-A-S-E, medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700 thousand Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. 
You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code WARROOM at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. WARROOMHEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out.